Well, good morning. How are you today? Um, those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian. I'm uh, on the pastoral staff here at Hope and uh, predominantly teach and preach downtown St. Paul. On Sunday nights, we've got a service there at uh, 6 p.m. And so uh, from time to time, I have the opportunity to, to come here and, and help out uh, Steve and Cor and whoever else might be preaching. Um, Steve was going to preach today, and then he was asked actually to do an installation service for the pastor uh, just down the street at First Baptist Church, and so uh, it's, it's my pleasure to be here, and it's no, no empathy here. I, I was already have a sermon ready for tonight, so uh, it was a easy, it was, it was a great, great thing that we get, we get to, to do here at Hope. So uh, anyways, if you have questions about any of that, feel free to, to chat, chat with me. And, and hey, we're getting rid of the city, huh? Uh, that's fun. I don't think I've ever used it. No, that's not true. That's not true. I'm not supposed to say that. It was, you know, we were, as staff, we were supposed to really get behind the city and, and you know, and show, but man, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to move on. We, they, we, all the staff, we, we watched a video about this thing that we're doing. It's called the Community Church Builder, but integrating it as, as a, a My Hope CC, and, and it's going to be a, a much, much better program. So we're really, not, I'm actually really excited about, about this. I'm not saying that because anyone told me to say this, so... Um, Anyways, excited for where we're going as a church when it comes to that. So, um, have you ever had expectations about something and then it just never, never panned out, right? It never turned out to be the way that, that you were expecting. You had these really high expectations about something. Um, for example, uh, yesterday, uh, my, wife, my wife got me these new socks a little while, while ago, and they're really slippery on, on our hardwood floors. And I learned that when I have these socks on, I can actually do a pretty mean moonwalk. Uh, and, and so I was, and I, told, I was really excited. I was, I, my expectation was I'm going to impress my wife uh, with my newfound dancing skill. And as I'm doing the moonwalk, I'm not going to try to do it now, um, I slammed my heel into the kitchen cabinets and just from blunt force, you know, drew blood. So uh, expectations versus reality, right? It didn't go the way that I thought it was going to. And, and we've probably seen memes like this, and so I've, I've got a few of these, right? Getting a puppy, uh, what I expected, <laughs> right? Versus a, I got a dinosaur. That's, I, that's what happened. I got a dinosaur. Anybody who has a dog and went through that stage uh, knows what that's like. Uh, other ones, uh, making a cake, um, <laughs> right? <The> <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, they, <laughs> they had the shape right, kind of. I, I still couldn't do that even if I tried. So, it, you know, it, um, you know, food, all, right, every, all these food ads, right, of expectation of what I'm going to get. You see the picture and it comes out. It's like, what is this? not what I ordered. Um, and now I guess McDonald's has these new, like they, they grill them on the spot, right? It's, it's, it's fresh, you know, raw meat. And there's no way. It's still going to come out looking like that. I don't believe it. Uh, not for one. I've, you've fooled me before. I'm not doing that. Um, anyways, I, and so speaking of food, a, a couple years ago, my wife and I, we got to go to uh, Europe, and I uh, know I don't look anything like that anymore, that was just three years ago, um, <laughs> but uh, we got to go to Europe, and so we were in London, and, and we love trying new foods and, and trying new things out, and so we, I got some traditional fish and chips, they, it was, they were greasy, it wasn't that great, but we, uh, anyways, we, we went, though, to uh, one of Gordon Ramsay's restaurants, you guys know Gordon Ramsay is, you know, TV personality, and has a bunch of different uh, shows, and so I was, I was really excited to go to one of Gordon Ramsay's restaurants. I, I, I do a lot of cooking, and so I use some of his recipes. If you haven't used his recipe for scrambled eggs, you're missing out. Like, I know it's like eggs. Yes, they're amazing, okay? So Gordon Ramsay's scrambled eggs, look it up. Use creme fraiche. You can substitute sour cream. It's okay. Um, 
Anyways, uh, we went there, and I was really excited about we, we, the, just the food in general and the preparation for it. They come to your table. They kind of tell you what's going on and what's in the menu, and it's changing all the time. And, and, and I don't really remember what I had, uh, but I remember it wasn't really all that good. But it was really expensive. And, and when you're in Europe, when they, when they come to your table, they will ask you, do you want uh, still or sparkling? Meaning, what kind of water? Do you want still water or sparkling? And I had learned up to that point, if you say sparkling, you know, it comes in a you know, bottle, Perrier or whatever, and you've got to pay for it. So you always say still, and they just give you regular water. Not at Gordon Ramsay's restaurant, right? They come to the table, and it's in a, like a wine bottle. They uncork it, and it's water, right, that comes out. And so uh, I paid $18 for water, right, at Gordon Ramsay's restaurant. And so it just the expectations, right, just they were so high. And then it just, as the meal was going on, just got lower and lower and lower. And that's what happens with the Israelites. They have been in slavery their entire lives. And then they finally get set free, and their expectations are clearly not met. And so as we continue in the 19th week now in the Gospel according to Moses, as we look at the book of Exodus, we are going to be looking at the bumbling and grumbling of the Israelites as they come out, right? And, and we got to look at their expectations because they're real. They've been in slavery, uh, for the, and their people have been in slavery for over 400 years. A lot of these, every single person there, other than Moses and his wife, have been slaves, forced labor slaves their entire lives, They've seen God work, do these miraculous things, right? Going back to Drew's sermon a couple weeks ago, he drowns Pharaoh, drowns the army. They come out and look at Joel's sermon from last week, this, this, this song of rejoicing, of remembering what's happened. So they have all these expectations of what is going to happen. And they've seen God come through over and over again and again and again. And they're met with the reality of this. This is Exodus chapter 15, 22 through 27. It's a pretty short passage today. It says this. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur, and for three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. All right, that's the reality that they're met with. They go from freedom to, really? Like this is... This is where we're at, and, and we got to keep in mind, it's not just Moses leading. They're still following this, this pillar and this cloud in the desert. There's, God is still leading them. And so they're following this cloud, and it's like, wow, God, where are you taking us? Where, where's the water? And you would have think they would have been fine, never even seeing a drop ever again, right? They just walked through walls of water in the Red Sea. They were probably like, ah, I'm, I'm fine if I don't ever see water again, Three days go by, and they say, where's the water? God, where are you at? And you, you would think, you would think after seeing all these things, there'd be a family, and maybe there were, we don't, we don't know, maybe reading between the lines a little bit. Maybe there was one family, right, who's just like, hey, hey, kids, watch this. I know we don't have any water. I know our livestock doesn't have any water. I know your baby brother doesn't have any water. But, man, God has done some crazy things with water in the last few months Watch this. He's going to show up. I, we don't know if that ever happened. But you'd think somebody would, would get to that. That doesn't happen. And so murmuring starts to happen in the camp. So it says this, And when he came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. That is why the place is called Marah. Marah is just Hebrew for the word bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Right? And, it's, and it's a realistic question, right? They're not just saying, uh, hey, 
uh, well, I don't know, they're, right? They're, it's, it's a realistic expectation. Hey, we're, we're with you now, so we're all thirsty. We're running out of water or we're out of water. Our livestock's out of water. Where, where's the water? What are we to drink? But the, it's the way they ask the question. It's not just, hey, Moses, can you provide some water? Can you tell Yahweh to provide water for us? They don't. They grumble, right? They murmur. Murmur is one of those, like, oh, what's the, what's the word? Automatopoeia? Is that like bang, boom, pow? It's like murmur, 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 right? It's one of those kinds of things, right? And that's what's happening, right? You can just hear the, the murmurs happening among the camp of them getting angry with God, of Yahweh who just set them free saying, hey, take care of us. Give us some water. Uh, and, they, and they come to this water, and they can't drink it because it's bitter. And I don't know if you've ever been there. Uh, I've never been, like, unbelievably thirsty. Uh, to, you know, I've never gone three days without water or anything like that. Um, and maybe some of you have. But imagine being incredibly thirsty, and instead of, uh, you know, Gatorade, it's, it's cookie dough. That's a bad, that's a bad one. Uh, right? but, but it's something else that's not palpable. Right? You can't drink this stuff. And I'm dying of thirst here, and, and I can't even drink this. It's like going to the ocean. Like, ocean water is just gross to me. I mean, some people love the smell of it, and that kind of, I can't even eat seafood because it just tastes like ocean. I don't enjoy that, right? And that's what's happening here. They're getting to the water. They're finally, yes, there's the water. You can see probably just imagine the looks on their faces and the animals. They go running up to the water, and they taste it, and they say, we can't, can't drink it. can't drink this water. And I love here what... Doug Stewart says, he says, the people did not have what they had expected and failed to trust God to provide it. Okay, that's, that's the sin. That's where the, that's where the problem comes in. Not that they had expectations, right? It's okay to have expectations, but for them to say, oh, but God, you didn't provide for me what I thought I should have. And since the Garden of Eden, that has been a, been a formula for disobedience. Right, every time that we think, oh, I'm a follower of Jesus, therefore I should have health, wealth, prosperity, whatever. God's going to provide. He's going to heal. He's going to do these things. We have these unmet expectations. What do we do as human beings? We immediately reject him. When this creation, this thing that we love so much is taken away from us, what do we do? We turn to the creator and say, how dare you? That's what Jonah does and the gourd growing in the, in the field. And he loves this gourd and God sends a wind and kills the gourd. And he says, how dare you? And we do this all the time as human beings and even as followers of Jesus. So we see now Moses crying out. Moses cries out on behalf of the people. So Moses cries out to Yahweh, and Yahweh showed him a piece of wood. And he threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. And this should if you've been here through the Exodus series, this should bring up memories of, of the staff turning into the snake, of the staff uh, parting, the, God using the staff to part the waters. And so Moses takes this, this piece of wood, this log, and he throws it into this body of water. And this is nothing short of a miracle. There was a couple commentaries. They're trying to explain away some elements that maybe that were in the log that could have diffused this mineral and all these things. This is a miracle. All right, because there's, there's potentially millions of Israelites, if not uh, 50,000 plus of them now, and, and this is not a little body of water. And by throwing a log into it isn't going to naturally, this is a miracle. I and mean, God has shown himself fully capable of performing miracles with water. He did this with the Nile, right? But it's a reversal of the Nile, where the Nile was this sweet water that provided uh, nourishment to the Egyptians. Now, all of a sudden, 
uh, God turns that into blood to punish them. And now you've got the bitter water that God makes sweet and now good for his people. And so what do we see? We see God say, trust me. Trust and obey. There was a song I used to sing when I was a kid. and It was called Trust and Obey. Um, and uh, I'm not going to sing it. I was going to, but I'm not going to. I, don't, don't do it. Don't do it. Uh, and so it was trust and obey. And it, it almost became this kind of like a, a ritualistic, moralistic, okay, God says do this, so therefore I'm just going to put my head down and do it. Right? Which I think there can be sometimes a, a good time for that. But it's not just blind trust. It's trusting and seeing what God has already done and where he's brought his people. And he's saying, trust me, I've got this. So we see here in Exodus 15, again says, And there Yahweh issued a ruling and instruction. It's not like he did a ruling and an instruction. It's, just, it's, it's, a, it's a redundant uh, phrase that, that, that happens in Hebrew a lot. And Yahweh issues a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to Yahweh your God and do what is right in his eyes, right, because we don't do that. We don't do what is right in God's eyes. We want to do what's right in our eyes. And I love the Alcohol Anonymous, right, their their phrase, your best thinking got you here, right? And that happens all the time with us, that our best thinking gets us into trouble. I had a pastor growing up who used to always say the phrase that when you choose the sin, because it's a choice, if I'm a follower of Christ, I'm choosing to do this right now. If I choose, when you choose the sin, you choose to suffer. There are consequences of those sins and those actions, right? Don't do what's right in your eyes. Do what's right in God's eyes. And if you pay attention to his commands and keep all of his decrees, I will not bring on you any diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am Yahweh who heals you. Right, so what are these commands? Because we haven't gotten to the commands yet. Moses hasn't gone out to the wilderness. They haven't climbed up Mount Sinai. They haven't gotten the Ten Commandments yet. So there's some speculation that they could have possibly already had commands that they already knew and were to follow. Or Moses is writing this kind of retrospectively knowing that these commands are coming. And they have some that were given to them, but not, not the ones that, that they're, they're going to get later. So he's saying, you, you keep my commands. Keep my decrees. And what does he say? He's not saying I'm just going to heal all of your calamities, but he says I'm not going to punish you the same way I punished the Egyptians. I'm not going to bring on these plagues, for I am Yahweh who heals you. Other translations even say I am your doctor. And they came to Elam where there were 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped near the water. Again, Stuart says this, The promise here is not that Yahweh would never allow those who place their faith in him to get sick. Okay, we've got to remember this. This is a passage that I was, as I was reading, is can easily be twisted into some health, wealth, and prosperity cheap gospel. That if you just follow God, if you just accept Jesus as your Savior, man, God's going to take care of all your needs. You'll never get sick, whatever it may be. It's not what the passage is saying here. The promise here is not that they would never get sick. It was that the Israelites would be free from having to worry about the plagues. God averred that he would not become angry at them in such a way as to subject them to the miseries he had subjected the Egyptians to. If they were indeed loyal and obedient. Just trust me. Obey. I've I've proven myself. 
His promise to serve as their doctor or healer also was not a promise that if anyone among them ever got sick, that he would immediately heal that person. That's not what he's saying here. It was instead an assertion that it was to him, uh, sorry, uh, it was instead an assertion that it was to him they must turn for healing if they found themselves afflicted as a result of sin. That when they choose to sin, they choose to suffer. And I think sometimes we got to be careful here. Don't, don't get this image of God with this lightning bolt in heaven just waiting for you to sin. And then as soon as you do, boom, and he brings some major calamity into your life. What he's saying is that when we sin, our lives should be one of repentance, of going back to God who freely extends his grace and forgiveness. And so their affliction is a result of their sin, of their choosing to sin and not trust God. Because what does he say? He is their healer. That when they get into those sinful moments or stages and choices, he says, turn to me. I will heal you. I can forgive you. Trust him. Um, one, one really uh, neat way to study scripture is when you come across uh, maybe a passage like this, there's a law or something that's decreed, just do a little Google search. Is there anywhere that this is played out in scripture? Right? It's kind of the, the, the phrase I use is consult the biblical roadmap. Right? Is there anywhere else in Scripture where this has happened, where the Israelites don't trust God? and He makes it very clear, hey, if you trust me, I'll heal you. And so uh, one that, that, that came to mind that, that popped up, um, at least on the, on the Google machine, um, was, was Numbers 21. And uh, so Numbers 21, uh, 4 through 9, says this. All right, so this is uh, fast-forwarding in the story, okay, just getting, getting our head where we're at. So it's Numbers, it's after Exodus, they've left, they've, they've, they've gone to Canaan, they, they leave Canaan, they actually don't get into it because of their sin, and there's consequences of their sin, and they wander in the wilderness for 40 years, and so it says this, they traveled from Mount Hor along the route to the Red Sea. So they're going, they're going back, they're, they're wandering around the wilderness to go around Edom. But the people grew impatient along the way. Sound familiar? And they spoke against God and against Moses and said, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? All right, listen what's behind their words. They're saying, we might as well have just stayed slaves. Right, this, this freedom thing isn't what you promised. And God is saying and has already said it's because you didn't trust me. Why would you bring us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Right, we got no bread. We got no water. We detest this miserable food. Right? They, they, what's funny about this phrase here, he says, we have no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food. Right? It's manna. We're going to get there next week. We're going to see what they're eating exactly. He says, so God's providing your needs. You just don't like how he's doing it. And again, your best thinking got you here. So Yahweh sent venomous snakes among them, and they bit the people, and many Israelites died. Right? He's enacting a plague on the Israelites. Why? Because they don't listen and they don't obey. So the people come to Moses and they said, we sinned when we spoke against Yahweh and against you. Pray that Yahweh will take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed to the people. And notice this, God doesn't take the snakes away, but he provides an opportunity for them to be saved. Yahweh says to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Then anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. I'm going to provide a way, just like the Red Sea. 
you were dead. You were going to die. You were either going to be pushed into the waters of the Red Sea by the armies of Pharaoh, or the armies of Pharaoh are going to slaughter you. You're dead. God provides a way. Same thing here. You get bitten by a snake, you're dead. Unless, unless you trust me. Let me heal you. So now we see the opportunity to be saved then and now. And as we look at this passage now, we're going to see that Yahweh, the God of the universe, through Jesus Christ and his spirit, he's not just in the business of saving physically. That there's something else that happens. Yes, the Israelites were saved physically going across the Red Sea. They were saved physically by looking at the serpent that was lifted up. But there's something spiritually that's going on with them as well when they decide to trust Yahweh. And same for us. So John chapter 3, I'm going to read verses 1 through 16 and talk about this. It says, now there was a Pharisee, a religious leader of the Jews. There was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, which, if you're curious, is the first episode of Nick at Night. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I don't plan my jokes. This one I thought about. All right? I was proud of this one. Okay, sorry. Moving on. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night and says, Rabbi, we know, we, the Pharisees, the, the religious leaders of the Jews, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. Right? There's something different about you. For no one could perform the signs you're doing if God were not with them. And Jesus says, Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. No one. How can someone be born when they're old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. And then Jesus says, oh, oh that's not a rhetorical question. You actually want me to answer, answer that. Yes, no, that, no, no, you're not supposed to do that. Don't do that. I'm not talking about physical birth here. Jesus answers, truly I tell you that no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, and the spirit gives birth to spirit. You, you, teacher of the law, should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. You know this story. Nicodemus would have have had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy all memorized. He would have had the complete Torah memorized. You, You know this. You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear the sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. It's not a physical thing. How can this be? Nicodemus asks. You are Israel's teacher, Jesus said. You do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen. But still people do not accept our testimony. You still don't listen to the stories of your people that you have memorized. God provides a way of salvation. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe me. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven 
except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man, me, the Messiah. I have already claimed to be the Messiah. I have said Abraham was and I am. Listen to what he says here. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, okay, what's the context? We just read. God says, obey me, trust me. And when you sin, I'm going to provide a healer. And Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent to save those who had sinned, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. It's not just a physical salvation anymore. It's now a spiritual salvation. It's going from death to life. And and John 3.16, a verse that probably a lot of people know, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Physically, going to perish. But someday, that body is going to be made new. And so we, we live in this thing that's called the already not yet. This idea that the kingdom of heaven is here, that Jesus has come and he is saved and he is healed. That's already happened. It's, a, it's an inward reality. And we're going to see people out in baptism today that have this inward reality of looking and believing on Jesus, and they're going to demonstrate it outwardly through the baptismal waters. But that's already not yet. I have a physical ailment. God, why aren't you healing me? Nowhere is that promised in Scripture. Nowhere. Matter of fact, it's quite the opposite. Paul says, we're going to suffer. There's going to be persecutions. There's going to, things are going to happen. Why? Because we live in a broken and fallen world. Sin entered it. Because of sin, we suffer. But God has provided the ultimate healing. Beyond a physical healing, he has provided salvation. And again, he's already done this. And I, I'm reminded of, of uh, D.A. Carson, who uh, it was years ago, and I don't remember when, but I was at a conference and he, and he, showed, he shared this story, and I'm not going to tell it as well, but he's talking about the Israelites. And he said, if you were to interview an Israelite who just crossed the Red Sea, what kind of language would they use? What would they say? And he said something like, along, along the lines of this, they would say, I was dead, right? I, which I've mentioned before, I, I, I was dead. I was either going to drown or be slaughtered by Pharaoh, and, and God parts the waters, and, and I had faith enough to trust that these waters were going to hold and I could walk through on dry ground. And I turned around and, and God destroyed Pharaoh and what he represented. And I, now, I, now I'm here on this shore, I'm saved, and I'm headed to the promised land, but I'm not there yet. That was their reality. Same thing with the serpents, right? They're in the wilderness, they're wandering around. I've been bitten by a snake, I am dead. God provides a way. Provide salvation if you just have the faith to go look at this serpent up on this staff. And I'm going to the promised land, but I'm not there yet. And likewise, with those of us who've been washed by the blood of Christ, that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And he brought us to life. He quickened us. He made us alive in him. And I'm still journeying in this fallen world And I'm headed to the promised land. There's going to be a day where God is going to come back to this earth. He's going to make all things new. That he will dwell with us and we will dwell with him. We will see God. That our faith will become sight. But it's not there yet. 
And so now I live in a fallen world where I constantly need to repent of my sins that I choose to commit against the Creator God. Uh, John Newton, um, he is the author of Amazing Grace. I know Pastor Steve kind of shared a little bit more about his story, and so I'm not going to go into it a lot, but uh, uh, by all accounts, a detestable human being. Right? He, he was a captain of a slave ship, uh, and he was a, a, a drunkard. And, and God saves him. And so we sing the song, Amazing Grace, all the time because this man's life went from death to life, from darkness to light by the grace of God. And he shares that. He has this, um, this story that, that he, he wrote about that when he was a, a captain of the slave ship that he was so inebriated one night, he, he fell off the boat. He fell into the water. And his crew didn't like him. Imagine that. His crew didn't really care for John. And so instead of grabbing a life preserver, they probably didn't have those back then anyways, but instead of, I don't know, turning the boat around or doing whatever, they took a whaling harpoon and threw it at John Newton. And it hits him in the hip, and they just drag him aboard like a large fish, okay? And he said, John Newton said, that every day and every time I limp, every step I take is a constant reminder of God's grace in my life. That John Newton understood the already, the already is, I'm saved, I'm free. But the not yet is, I've got a bad hip as a consequence of my sin. That's our reality. So he says this, and we sing this, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. It was grace that brought us safe this far, and grace will lead us home. Not there yet. Someday, someday I will be. So as we move into application, as we move into what, what can we take out of this, what can we learn from this passage in Egypt, or in, in Exodus and in Numbers and then looking at Christ's words in John, I think there's a couple things we can learn. Are we grumbling against God? Are we murmuring? Right, looking at our situation around us, and instead of crying out and murmuring, God, how could you allow this thing to happen to me? It's okay to, to ask God for answers, yes. But am I doing it with a heart that is trusting God and obeying God? Or am I doing it one that says, God, you have no idea what you're doing. Matter, I could do it better. Let me have the reins for a day. Do we grumble? Do we murmur against the creator of the universe? And as we look at the story of the Egyptians, it's our story. That as he carries them across the Red Sea, those are our people. That as they're bitten by a serpent and he provides healing, those are our people. And now as we are in this new covenant with Christ, something happens in our life, do we get back to, but Jesus, he saved me. No matter what's going on in my life. And when we sin, do we turn to him for repentance? Right? When we choose the sin. All right, Martin Luther, right? Number one on his 95 theses, right? That the, the life of the believer should be a life of repentance. I'm constantly repenting. I'm constantly confessing my sin. Do we turn to God for repentance? And finally, do you believe? Do you believe this? And Jesus clearly says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Are you, believe in me and you'll have eternal life. Maybe you've never heard that before. But today could be your first opportunity, your first chance to believe, and then we're going to have communion. What I love about this, I was reading, uh, I don't think I, I quoted her uh, here, but Amy Bernstein, she's a uh, Jewish rabbi, I think she's in Atlanta, um, 
when I was when we were going through the Passover meal, I, I studied her a lot and, and her works. And uh, she had this phrase of, of eating the Passover meal, right? And she said that, that we as Jews have to viscerally remember what it was like because we tend to forget as human beings. We tend to forget. The Israelites do it, right? They've been gone for three days. They've been free for three days, and they say, where's the water? We forget. And so now today, we get to viscerally remember what Christ did. We get to taste what Christ did for me. That the juice that represents his blood that was shed for me to cover my sins and is the bread that represents the body which was broken for Christ, or broken for us. We do this in remembrance of him because we forget. We look at our situation around us. We have all these great expectations that aren't met and we grumble. But then we get to this and we remember what Christ has done for us. All we ask is that you're a follower of Jesus Christ. You don't need to be a member of this church or any church for that matter. This could be your first time stepping foot into a church. Come, eat, commune, remember what Christ has done for us and has set us free from sin and the consequence of that sin. Gluten-free options are going to be in the right and the top and the bottom. We're going to sing some songs and we're going to remember now what Christ has done for us. Will you bow with me? In prayer. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you that we um, attend a church or go to a church building that worships you, that remembers what you did, and remembers that when we look at the life and our situation around us, that things do get bad here in this earth because, as a result of sin. It opened the floodgates for the fall to happen and, and sin and death and cancers and, and weather and all these calamities that happen. God, you've provided salvation. So God, would we trust you? Would we obey you? And now as we, we viscerally get to remember and taste these elements that we would remember what Christ did for us to set us free from our sin, to take us from death to life and perform the ultimate miracle on my soul. So God, would you be honored and glorified now as we reflect, as we repent of our own sin, as we look at people who are joining in this meal with us in our community, and as we gladly lift up our voices and reflect back to you the glory that's due your name, and that we would, as John Newton, say, yes, through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. And it is grace that has brought me safe thus far, but it is grace that's going to lead me home. And God, we look forward to that day when our faith is made sight. It's in Christ's most precious name that we pray. Amen.